Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Why is this happening? Why did the rest of the league shun Cam Newton? It makes me look young. Also, it makes you look at my wonderful hair. I'm going to flaunt my hair when I got it, you know? Ah, it's crazy today. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. It is crazy today. My head's spinning. John Von Tobel's here. It is the uh, BBBBBBBC Battleborn, uh, Battleborn Broadcast Center on a Friday. Von Tobel, Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. I got to wrap my head around what the hell's going on here. Trending at 2 o'clock. We've got a bunch of COVID situations locally. First off, I think Marc-Andre Fleury tested positive. I think. Did we see official word anywhere? Because uh, the indication a few hours ago was that Ryan Reeves seemed to suggest that Math had tested positive for COVID and reports out there that he's isolated in his St. Louis hotel room. This is nuts. If, if he tested positive, wow, we'll have to break this down a little bit. I mean, VGK is in some trouble here. With the goaltending situation. Yeah. Leonard's not ready. And now Marc-Andre Fleury could be down for weeks, and who knows how he comes out of it. But this is the danger, right, of practicing a season in the midst of a pandemic. They're not the only team that has gone through something like this. And the thing that sucks is it's the cluster situation, right, Mm -hmm. where Leonard is down with an injury, and then, of course, you get this spot. So, look, a lot of teams have to deal with this in almost every single sport, but this is also why you build up a relatively deep team outside of goaltending, you would think. (laughs) <laughs> and that you could potentially pull through something like this, or at least t- d- take enough lumps and get through it as best as you can so that it doesn't set you back in the long run. And to be honest, right, they built enough in the standings that they can afford someone of a low. Kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, the record is a little bit misleading because they started out with, what, 13 games at home and eight on the road. So now they're getting into the meat of the road schedule. And I understand what you were saying, build the rest of the roster to withstand a disaster at goalie, but at goalie itself, it's like, well, I thought you're speaking as a VGK fan. I thought we had depth. We've got $12 million invested in goaltenders and we've got a mysterious injury with uh, Robin Leonard. And now we've got COVID with Marc-Andre Fleury, but other teams around the NHL have had to deal with it. And, you know, no one has looked at their record and said, Hey, you know, tough luck ski. So VGK fighting COVID. We think. We think right now, uh, what we found out yesterday that Flurry was put on the COVID list as the uh, NHL likes to be very, very secretive in all their dealings with injuries. College basketball, I mean, this just came down in the last couple of hours. We've got two, you know, recent, well, one's a recent blue blood. One's, a, you know, one of the top five or six programs in the country. Virginia, COVID issue, out of the ACC tournament. Kansas, COVID issue, out of the Big 12 tournament. And now what happens with the NCAA tournament? We talked about this two months ago. What do you do? How do you set a field? Now, the rules, John, were that you had to be clear of COVID. You had a positive test seven days out mm-hmm. of the NCAA tournament. So it starts on Friday. Today's Friday. So Virginia and Kansas are right on the edge. It doesn't mean they can't play in the tournament, 
But anyone in the travel party or if it's players or coaches who tested positive, they've got to come up clean soon. These guys are going to be out, whoever they are, or a woman if she's in the traveling party. They're going to be out. And now, hopefully, you've contained the problem. Otherwise, it could be a rash of hell for both of these programs going into the NCAA tournament. Yep. And, well, the thing, the the, the positive is that uh, the NCAA vice president or senior VP talked about how to field the team in the NCAA tournament, you just need five healthy players. You to have play. to have five players so to, to, stay, to stay in. Right. So at the bare minimum, you just need your five guys ready to go, whatever five they are, and then you get a chance. Now, there's a conversation we have of, right, if it's your worst five, is it worth right. really trying to go out there and attempting this? But at the same time, it gives yourself an opportunity. So it's it's a dire situation, but at least you have a, a very, very short minimum to meet to get to the NCAA tournament. So we're going to need seven seven straight days of uh, not having, like, you know, most of your roster go bye-bye right. for Kansas and Virginia. Well, here's the problem. They're selecting a field. So my contention would be, one, you better release the name of the person. If it's a player, the selection committee should know because hmm. I think this affects seating. And frankly, um, well, you tell me what you would do because they're, they're not going to have replacement teams. They're not going to have replacement teams. So if you drop out, you're out, and I'm guessing the team that's you know in front of you advances. Right. Should these schools be penalized? Should Virginia and Kansas – Virginia was a three in bracketology. Let me get this right. I think it was Kansas was a three in bracketology. Virginia's a four. Correct. Yeah. Do they have any business being a three and a four now? I mean, I guess we know who the player is or if it's not a player. It would fall under the parameters of, right, like usually when we see this, if there's a major injury, things like that, they'll be like seated appropriately when it comes to the NCAA tournament. If it's a key role player who's not going to play, like you'll dock a team essentially. Will they? I think we've seen it in the past. Have we not? What do you think is going to happen to Villanova without Gillespie? Well, that's what I'm saying. I think we have seen in the past they'll do it, but will they do it this year? Is a question. I don't know. COVID's, like, do you, a COVID's a whole new challenge. Right. And we've seen situations with professional teams where COVID outbreaks necessarily weren't the fault of players. So we don't even know how said player, whoever it is, got it either. So it'd be tough to penalize a team for it just because somebody had it when you don't know how it happened. So, so think about this, though. If we find out that it's one of your better players, you're not penalized on the front end if you're Kansas or Virginia. Do they also take into account if COVID hit you at the beginning of the season, the middle of the season, and one of your players was out? Or even better, an injury mm-hmm. during the middle of the season. Do they take that into account? Like a low and actually amount. boost you up? Or like, go, hey, you know what? When you had said injured player or said COVID-affected player, you were much better. Do they look at that? Do they deep dive? I mean, I think you're asking a lot of the committee to, th- in terms of well, looking at situations like that. Do you want, a, you want an example? Yeah. Utah State is a completely different team with Riley Wooster. Right. He killed UNLV last night. He missed time with a foot injury. Utah State is better than the numbers. Right, and they're yeah. in right now, according to some. Like, okay. Lenardi, who you were if, referencing, they were in. If they lose tonight mm-hmm. to Colorado State by 15, I guess that would be the case. Hey, Wooster was there and they lost. But I just – I wonder the you know what they have to do tonight over at the Thomas and Mac. I do think they should be given credit for what they did with Riley Wooster, because I believe he's their second most important player. Yes, a freshman point guard, I think, is their second most important player behind Kata. So there's a lot going on here. You know, there has to be, a lot, you know, when they they tout, hey, blind blind resume, it, it can't be blind. You got to look at the teams, especially in a COVID season, and see what players are out for COVID or injuries and 
take that into consideration. Oh, I, I think we agree with each other on this. Yeah, I agree. Like when you're looking at that, there should be nuance to the way that you evaluate teams. There's nuance in the way you evaluate teams in every, you know, we were just talking about the Vegas Golden Knights, right? If five games from now, they lose all five games because of goaltending issues, you're not going to go, oh, Vegas Golden Knights suck. Like, no, you're going to realize that they're going through something from that perspective. But we've also seen the committee, the multiple committees, whether it's college football, college basketball, uh, do they really think with that much nuance or do they just look at everything on the surface and go, eh, all right, let's go. The latter. Right. The latter. So we've got potential disastrous situation for the NCAA tournament and any title hopes for Virginia, for Kansas, and for Villanova because of injuries. And in the last five minutes, I bet all three to win the national title. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Well, that was a crazy break. Man, we got a lot of news coming down on a Friday, Cofield and Company. We were just talking at the top, the uh, speculation that Marc-Andre Fleury may have tested positive for COVID because he was put on the COVID list yesterday. The speculation was based on what seemed like a suggestive comment by Ryan Reeves. 30 seconds into break, the Knights released the news. After additional testing, it has been confirmed that VGK experienced a false positive COVID test in St. Louis yesterday. Mark andre Fleury has been removed. He's been removed from the NHL COVID protocol list and has rejoined the team. That, that's, that is a crazy 24 hours. It's good news. Look at you pointing to the sky. There you go. Well, I was just I, I'm. Did you bet? Did you bet VGK today? Like, no. Did you have snitches that said, "Hey, it might be a false positive"? No, I'm just emulating every single Golden Knights fan. Like, good looking <laughs> out, bro. Well, and you mentioned it. I mean, look, that kind of suck. Like situations like that kind of suck, right? Like in terms of not only cluster injuries, but ones that are out of your control. So that's good. It's good to have your guy back. It is good because they were facing Flurry getting COVID at this point in the season is a disaster. Right. We don't know when Leonard's back, and. I think a lot of people, because there's so many COVID hoaxers out there, and there's also people who've, you know, you work normal jobs and you've had COVID and maybe you didn't have much of an effect from having it. And then there was no after effect. But there have been athletes who have said, you know, I'm, I'm beat. So imagine, you know, if Flurry's down for a couple of weeks just to beat COVID in the first place, and then it affects him for two or three more weeks at this point in the season, that would not have been good. So again, BGK with the release about five minutes ago. False positive, flurry off the COVID list, and we'll see when he's ready to go. Right, it's always very secretive about who's going to be in net. So we'll see how this how this works out. Well, it seemed like they did have an. I think it was DeBoer who said media availability. Like, just because he's on the COVID list doesn't mean it's a positive test. Let's let the process play out. So maybe they had a feeling behind the scenes that like we'll get him back sooner than later. Uh, UNLV season's over at the uh, Mountain West Conference tournament. Season's over. Period. But they wound up losing last night. They were tied at 24 at the half, lost by 21. Second half was just Brutal. a disaster. And you thought the first half was a sign of things to come? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, when they played, I thought, very inspired defensively in the first half. I was really impressed with the effort that they were like on the screen, scrambling back to your man, everything. I, I thought it was a really solid second first Utah half State defensively. Didn't make any, really, any threes in the first half. Hardly right. any. He made some early and then didn't make any. Uh, Kata was limited to... I think it was five points and seven rebounds, but he got off five field goal attempts. He made one. They were defending him pretty well. He turned the ball over a couple times. So they were doing a, a really nice job. But on the other end, and that's where uh, 
and actually, defense led to offense quite a yeah, bit, right? Yeah, you're, a, lot, a lot of turnovers and a lot of, a lot of runouts. Right, but, but I think there was – I counted at least two Bryce Hamilton runouts where he just goes a little bit too strong to the hoop, right, with a layup, and it, it rims out or goes past the 10. Um, there was a couple of times where – like there was that last like four-minute stretch right before they ended the first half on that 6 nothing run, but where they're getting stop after stop, and you're like, okay, here we go. But then over that stretch, I think they had one field goal, and it was like a Jenkins step back – like mid-range jumper that went off the window, and that was Which, really by the way what I had going for the only field goal Jenkins made. Yeah, the entire game. Yep, and that that was one of the big problems. Uh, they didn't finish close to the rim. I said before the game, I like I this kid Riley Wooster. I think is tremendous. He's the freshman point guard. He's about six three, two hundred pounds. Montana kid, very under recruited, but now they're going to have him for five years yep. as a point guard. Um, he almost had a triple double in game two of the season series. And I thought the matchup, Jenkins against Wooster, I was like, man, if they put Wooster on Jenkins, this is going to be good for David Jenkins because he's been playing well of late. Uh, he's a guy who can draw fouls. And then instead, Wooster just destroyed him. Yep. He uh, he outscored him 14-5. Uh, to five. Wooster also had six rebounds, eight assists. And for the game, Jenkins went 0-7 for 7 from three. So that was a key matchup. And I thought the other thing, and it was becoming evident in the first half, when you're playing a guy like Kata, who's 7-1, you got to play him somewhat physically, which means you got to bump him a lot. You got to bump him out of the lane. And when he's backing down, you got to bump him because he's looking for contact. If Bill Clinton ref is going to be super tight with the whistle, you're screwed. And it was like any time, especially in the second half, when it blew open, mm-hmm. any time you, you brushed Demaiish Kata, it was a foul. You, you can't defend him like that. Right. That's, that's one of the things in college basketball that irks me. It's, it's one thing to have a superstar big guy on the other side. Give the defending big guy a chance. And, and in the end, does it matter? You know, if they called less fouls, UNLV was not up to the mission. So they wouldn't have won the game, but it makes it that much tougher when you can't really defend the opposing big guy who's 7-1. Right. That's why when you started to see that 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 run, that 6 nothing run at the end of the first half, is to me what was like, all right, that's a pretty troublesome sign. Because you were fighting tooth and nail. It was one of those where every UNLV field goal was like a war. Like they had to work so hard to get a made bucket. And then all of a sudden they get six just like that on the other end. And it's one of those slower paced games in the first half where you're like, two points is a lot, man. And then when you give up six like that and go into the second half and they start to play the way they did, uh, that sucked because it was one of those kind of, it was just watching UNLV basketball quite a bit. It was a very familiar performance. You know what I mean? Hmm. Like over the over the years is what I mean. Like where it's a really good effort in the first half and then it just kind of starts to fall apart. You can see it slipping away from them. So as I was sitting there uh, doing the game with John and Curtis, you know, you start to you start to feel like, uh, hey, you know, Boise loses in the early part of the day. And what happens at the end of the season when we're talking bubble, uh, people don't watch college basketball and aren't paying attention to everything that's going on. They don't look at the the last four in and then the next eight. Well, if everyone loses, you're not in that bad of shape. I actually don't think Boise. Well, I didn't think last night that Boise was out of the mix. But Lenardi shuffled his first four or last four in, first four out a little oddly to me. And right now, last four in are Drake, Colorado State, Syracuse, and Utah State is in. Ole Miss beat one of the suckiest teams in the SEC in South Carolina and somehow moved up like from next four out to one of the last four out. Uh, St. Louis isn't playing this week because they lost by 18 in the semis of the A-10 tournament. They bumped up a little bit, and somehow Boise is now behind Ole Miss and St. Louis. So I thought, boy, I actually thought there was a shot last night that the Mountain West Conference could get four teams in. Uh, this will be interesting because if Reno pulls the upset on San Diego State, that changes a lot of things. And and just so you know, the other teams that are in contention, like last four out, next four out, uh, as I said, most of them 
have lost, uh, Xavier out, um, and the next four, um, the only shot, I guess, would be Seton Hall could be a, mm-hmm. a bubble burster. But frankly, if they beat Georgetown today, who cares, right? Georgetown's an eight. You're supposed to win that game. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Mountain West Conference and these bids right now. Colorado State took care of the uh, the job last night. They go head-to-head with Utah State tonight. Right now, Colorado State and Utah State are in. Up next, we're going to do our uh, path to the draft. Uh, just about every day, we uh, count down to uh, April's NFL draft. We started at the back end of the first round with the Buccaneers. Up today are the Kansas City Chiefs, so we lean on our guy, Soren Petro. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft, presented by Weed Sellers, WeedSellers.com. That's Weed, C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. Yep, we continue to preview the draft as we count down to number one. Just getting started here. We had the uh, Buccaneers expert early in the week. We got number 31 up. Uh, the rival Chiefs, not really a rivalry. You got to beat them, right? Well, the Raiders did split with them this year, and there's hope on the horizon. Hope on the horizon. Saran Petro is with us. The Chiefs are going to have to rebuild the offensive line. We'll get into that with our path to the draft spot. But first, Petro, I got to get your general football take on Cam Newton is going back to the Patriots. What is Belichick doing at quarterback? I, I don't get it. Um, you know, it, it, I assume they're going to try to bring in a young guy and compete with him, and they figure Cam Newton is as good a guy as they can have. Or, you know, my, my thought process was that they were just going to run him and run him and run him. That Like, okay, we can't find a guy to throw it, so we're going to play almost option football. And, you know, they had some success running the ball, but uh, you've got to make plays in the passing game. So, um, it, it you know, uh, let's see what else he does. It's early to draw a, a conclusion. Let's see if they, you know, grab a lot of people have Mac Jones ending up there from uh, Alabama. If that ends up happening, then you say, okay, I see what it is. This is the veteran and they've got the young guy to go with them. But uh, right now it's, it's definitely uh, a bit of a head scratcher. If this is their big move yet again, because it didn't exactly work last time. Doesn't the Mac Jones talk seem kind of ridiculous for the Patriots? We, we, match up players to the Patriots all the time in the first round, and he never takes them. In fact, he never stays with the pick. And it's like Mac Jones makes too much sense to the Patriots. It doesn't seem right to me. And here's the other thing. I don't know if you've been tracking some early NFL prop bet opportunities, but uh, Mac Jones is up on at least one board with an over-under of 15.5. So they're actually playing to that Patriots pick. I will absolutely bet after the 15th pick. Uh, I think Mac Jones may rise beyond that because mm. of the needs of the quarterbacks. Um, but I won't be shocked if he's sitting there in the second round either, because I've talked to a number of personnel guys and they say, listen, the most difficult team to, to evaluate their players is Alabama because all around them are matchup winners. Right. So is your, is, you know, does this guy look great because, you know, everyone around him is getting their job done. Like it's, it's easier to evaluate a guy who's getting double teamed all the time and seeing him blow it up and say, okay, that guy can make it happen. I think Jones I like his accuracy. I like his touch. And I think a lot of times what you see is everybody looks at what's a need and then what's the best guy at that need left on their mock draft. And so they marry that up. And in reality, you know, a lot of times, a lot of teams aren't drafting for the need this year. They're drafting for the need next year. The smart teams are doing that kind of thing if they're drafting for need. So uh, I think quarterback is a spot. Look, every team should want to be in a position where they can line up and play right now, that they have a starter ready to go at every spot, and then you can take the best player available. And I think the Patriots have lived by that, uh, but they've always had the quarterback spot filled. It's, it's, this is 
we're seeing the Patriots play the game the way everybody else has to play the game, and that's generally speaking without a Hall of Fame quarterback in your pocket. Let's get to the Chiefs. So the Chiefs have 31. They've got all their picks, I think, outside of their sixth-round pick. So the last day or so, what's going on here? you got this expensive quarterback. you got to protect him. Both tackles cut, and now the center may walk? Yeah, and, and Austin Ryder is a guy that they got uh, you know, basically off waivers from the Cleveland Browns. Now he's going to get paid, and I think this is part of the M.O. Look, the plan was not to have both tackles cut, right? The plan was for them to finish the season healthy and play one more year, maybe even extend Eric Fisher uh, and, and, and perhaps walk away from Mitchell Schwartz. couple things here. I'm hearing there's a decent chance Mitchell Schwartz retires, and I'm hearing there's a decent chance that the Chiefs work out a one-year deal or some kind of – you know, uh, extended, um, you know, uh, one basically one year cheap and then a couple of years on the back end that has an option that they can get out from under with Eric Fisher. So Fisher could be back. This definitely wasn't part of their plan that they put in place last year, but it's the reality of what they do. I actually think it's a smart move. Andy Reid was a guy that I had people in the Chiefs organization when Reid was coaching the Eagles say, hey, well, we got to get to be more like the Eagles. They're never – they might be a year early getting out from under a player, but they're never a year late. And I think this is a good sign for the Chiefs because they're not just re-signing guys hoping they're going to be healthy because they were part of a championship team. They're making what is the right decision. Guys that are 30-plus coming off major injuries, you should not have a big chunk of your cap tied up in. And so they made the smart decision. Now, a lot of work to be done. And you mentioned their picks. Mm-hmm. They've got them all minus the six. They picked up an extra fourth and fifth for uh, free agent compensation. I think that's one of the things they're counting on on Austin Ryder as well is that he'll go someplace else. They'll get an extra pick for him next year after he starts for a team in 21. Uh, that's kind of the game that they like to play. But now they've got, you know, 60% of their offensive line to replace. And I, and I think offensive tackle is probably where they go with that first pick. It's deep at that position, and they've got to protect the quarterback. I don't think you want to be in a position where you have to take a tackle. And I think they'll look to add a veteran somewhere along the line. Uh, but they're going to have to add somebody to the mix. Lucas Nyang, who they got in the third round last year, I had a, a different team uh, personnel guy tell me they had him as a first-round talent but weren't going to touch him because of his hip condition. And so if, if he plays like a first-rounder, that's one of the tackle spots. They still need to find the other one. And as you mentioned, uh, the only center on their roster right now is an undrafted college free agent from last year that spent most of his time on the practice squad. So they're going to have to take a tackle. They're going to have to find a center. Uh, they've got a number of options at guard, but uh, a lot of uh, investment in the offensive line is going to have to happen this offseason. Yeah, it sounds like the center position is pretty deep in free agency around the NFL. We're doing a path to the draft for the Chiefs as the number 31 pick. In the NFL draft, Petro is with us from WHB in Kansas City. Have you guys started bouncing around on the show? Some tackle names? Because you're right. If you look at some lists out there, obviously, Panay Sewell is the guy, and he's going to be a top right. 10 pick. But as you move further down, there's a ton of guys who have grades you know, from first and second round. We're talking about 12 different players at offensive tackle. Yeah, and I think there is a feeling that uh, you know there's probably five or six guys that that warrant that first round. Maybe the Chiefs board will have seven or eight. Uh, you know, you would think this would be a time to move down, and I think you know one of two things can happen: either a run happens on a position that's really deep, and they start flying off the board, and you're pick sixteen, and you go, "Wow, five offensive tackles have already been drafted." Or teams look at it and say, "Look, we really like the depth. There isn't that many corners, or there isn't that many wideouts. Whatever position they might look at and say." We've got to grab that now. We'll come back to offensive tackle in the second round. I think that's the ideal situation for the Chiefs. You'd love to see them even be able to trade down. They need a lot of things because the, you know they're so heavy on big contracts that they could really use a lot of extra draft picks. So trading down, which is what they did when they got Chris Jones traded out of the first round, 
picked up some extra spots, and then still got a guy that they consider to be a first-round defensive lineman. Hopefully that scenario plays out for the Chiefs. I think that's the the dream scenario for them. Reality, though, is Red Beach has yet to trade down in the three drafts that he's had, and he's traded up in every draft. So I can see a more likely scenario being they're sitting at 31, and the fourth or fifth offensive tackle comes off the board at 22 or 23, and Brett Beach gets on the phone and moves up to get what he sees as the last offensive tackle that warrants a first-round pick. I, I would be stunned if they didn't take an offensive tackle in the first two picks, uh, and I think they're going to take one with their initial selection, whether that's a first-rounder or a second-rounder, and, and he is a guy that's been very aggressive in moving up as opposed to moving down. So we have an interesting situation unfolding here in Vegas as they cut players, trade players, you're trying to improve the team, so you're like, okay, they're going to go via free agency, or you do it in the draft, and then you look at the results so far with Gruden and Mayock, and you're like, they're good at neither. Like, they've not been good in the draft and in free agency. Is Veach, is he good in the draft? You know, yes, yes. I, I would say overall, yes. Listen, nobody's great at the draft, right? What you have to do, it's, it's like basketball, shot volume. How do you score points? Get a lot of shots up, right? How do you be successful in the draft? Take a lot of picks, and I think it's one of the reasons why I think it's going to be a real question mark. Can Brett Veach shift gears and acquire more selections? They do a good job of letting guys walk like Austin Ryder, the starting center, uh, having them play someplace else and getting extra draft picks for it. But for the most part, Brett Veach has taken those picks and used them, you know, in, in combination uh, with higher picks to move up in the higher rounds. He moved up for McCole Hardman. Uh, he, he moved up, uh, you know, he, he's uh, I'm trying to remember who else but, Oh, he moved back into the draft last year for Bo Pete Keys, a guy who didn't really play. He traded this year's sixth-round pick to get into the seventh round last year and, and take a corner that he liked. Uh, so, I, I, you know, he's going to have to shift gears and learn to get more picks because if you want to be effective at the draft, you know, it's buy extra tickets for the lottery because that's what these guys are. No, nothing is a sure thing. And so the more guys you can select, the better chance you have. But, uh, yeah, he's been good. Listen, they got Legereus Sneed in the fourth round last year. Uh, it was a guy that played safety his last year at Louisiana Tech. Didn't, you know, some people said, well, the safety tape wasn't very good. They immediately put him at corner, and he graded as the highest uh, graded corner in the draft from last year's draft, and they got him in the fourth round. So, yes, he, he is good at the draft. Like I said, I don't think anybody's great. Uh, but they also do a nice job at, uh, on the free agents and on the second-tier free agents. Mike Pinnell played a big role for them in winning the championship at defensive tackle. They got him midseason. Uh, Wisniewski they picked up each of the last two years to solidify uh, their offensive line. They've done a really nice job uh, on that side of things. And, and a lot of credit has to go to the coaching staff, right? You know, getting guys and then figuring out what they do well, designing schemes that allow them to shine uh, and, and play uh, the way that they play best. And so I think the coaching staff, Andy Reid and his staff, are a big part of that equation as well. It's our path to the draft. Today it's brought to you by Weed Sellers. No cannabis, no CBD. It's uh, weed, C-E-L-L-A-R-S dot com. Wine, bourbon, beer. Go check it out at weedsellers.com. Is there a group of fans that looks at this roster and goes, all right, we have issues now at the tackle position. Why the hell did we take a running back last year in the first round in Clyde Edwards-Alaire? Uh, yes. And I think there are a lot of people that sounded that that alarm, you know, I, I, and, and, I, and I can tell you that, you know, the reason that came about, I think the Chiefs really wanted to trade down. I think that was a time that, that Brett Veach would have traded down from the folks I talked to. As soon as uh, Love came off the board, the quarterback going to the Packers, 
any idea of trading down went away. It was a deep draft. Everybody knew it was a deep draft. The only thing people were looking to move up for was the quarterback. And I think in an ideal situation, the Chiefs would have rolled back and gotten more picks. Uh, they were stuck at 32, and they had a need at running back. They really did like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I think they would have loved to have moved down to you know, 38, 42, 45, and gotten him there. But it was, it was the guy they were sold on the most. It was a need spot, and so they made the selection. Um, you know, he played well. His, his broken tackle numbers are sensational. Uh, I think his, you know, growth in the passing game is what held him back a little bit uh, numbers-wise. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think right now, had you known both tackles were going to be injured, you definitely would have said, okay, let's take the best tackle possible. But I think they took what they felt was the best talent that was on the board at 32 uh, and, it, and it's also a knee position for the Chiefs. It was a knee position and continues to be a knee position. Uh, if you look at this roster with Damian Williams coming back, uh, you know, you, you'd be scratching your head. Uh, is he going to be the same guy? Damian Williams never played a whole season. And so that's one of the reasons why they made that move. I don't think it was their, their dream scenario, but it's the scenario uh, they were dealt and the hand they had to play. This is the question of the offseason. When we're talking about top six quarterbacks, Petro, should and will Patrick Mahomes – have a say in personnel decisions. He, he, you know, I think you should certainly invite him to any meeting he wants to come into, right? I don't think you want to be the Seattle Seahawks or certainly not the Houston Texans and have your quarterback sideways. If he shows an affinity and an interest in being around those meetings, bring him on in. Like, why wouldn't you? You, you want to make sure that the guy's happy. He said all the right things. His post-Super Bowl interview, his exit interview, for lack of a better term, you know, he was asked about that. Did he want to have a say in personnel? And he said, listen, uh, Brett Veach and his guys do a great job. I leave that up to them. Now, that being said, last year at the draft, after they took Clyde Edwards-Lair, they told a story about how Patrick Mahomes was you know, by the office one day and they were looking at tape and he came in and said, hey, I like the Clyde Edwards-Lair kid from LSU. And I think it was a neat story about how this just happened to play out, you know, who didn't like him, right? Especially when you look at the way he plays, he's, he seemed to be an ideal fit, and I think will be an ideal fit for an Andy Reid offense. But that story got told and retold and became that Patrick Mahomes made this selection. <laughs> and uh, he went out of his way on that excellent interview to say, oh, no, I'm not in the personnel game. At least at this point in his career, I don't think he wants to get in there. But let him run around, uh, you know, be pressured 29 times every game after not taking offensive linemen, and I'll bet he'll have a different tune at that point. Well, you know, it would also help if the uh, the Chiefs improve just a little bit on defense, and I don't know if they need to draft for now or the future. You tell me. Do they need help in the front seven? Could that be a – I'm not going to say a surprise pick, but could that be a pick in the first round where they get someone for that front seven? Yes. If, if the offensive tackle uh, got stripped down, I would look at the edge. Uh, there, there are a number of guys uh, up there, you know, a true defensive end, and generally – you know, think long and lanky. I mean, that's that's kind of the way Steve Spagnuolo uh, has drafted guys. He likes those six five, six six, six seven uh, defensive ends, and he likes to have a lot of defensive ends. and And they've got several of them that are that are free agents now. Alex Okafor, Tano Passanio uh, are free agents. They got good production out of Michael Dana, uh, who they got in the fifth round out of Michigan last year. But he's more of just a stay home, scheme fit, do the dirty work type, and not really a a get after the quarterback hell bent off the edge. And I think that's what they need. And there's some depth uh, in that. And so if they didn't take offensive tackle, uh, th- they would take edge. In fact, I would take, if you gave me even money and I'd probably even lay you some odds that their initial selection will either be offensive tackle or edge. And I would be stunned if it's anything else. I think they could use them in a linebacker as well. Anthony Hitchens will be on the team this year, but uh, he gets much more cuttable after next year. And they're going to have to be looking for cap savings again next year. So I think middle linebacker, but I don't see them taking that up this high. I think that's more in the 
third, fourth, fifth round, that somewhere they're going to take a middle linebacker. But I think it's offensive tackle and edge with the first two selections in some order, and I would bet a lot of money um, that they will take one of those two spots with their initials pick. Path to the draft, getting ready for the uh, late April NFL draft. Chiefs have the 31st pick. We're talking to Saran Petro from WHB in Kansas City. I'll have, uh, I want to get your look at the Raiders. It's interesting because, uh, you know, we're very hard on the Raiders locally. I know you're a little more positive on the Raiders in general, and hell, the Raiders almost swept the Chiefs. I mean, they did a good right. job in winning, and they were close if they held on to a lead. They get the second win against the Chiefs. What do you think of the Raiders' situation? They got to rebuild the offensive line, and they have to improve their defense, and it looks like they're going to have some good money here in free agency. I think they've got to stop, you know, buying guys, you know, they seem to buy every stock at its peak, right? Whatever stock is rocketed to the moon, they're they're jumping on it. And they got to find, they got to do a better job of, of buying low, right, and selling high. They bought high on Trent Brown, and then they sold low, right? Like, they lost big time on that. If that's a stock trade, that, that was a big time mistake. And so, Look, interior, I understand going out and spending on a tackle. The Chiefs went out and, and spent on Mitchell Schwartz and free agency. Now teams don't really let those tackles get out there. But uh, you, you've got to you know, invest in the tackles. You can find guards and centers late and in free agency if you can scheme well and coach well. Um, but I, I think overall, uh, you know, they've got to stop. You know, and, and, you know, we've talked about it, you and I, in, in, in different shows the Clemson, Alabama fascination. I mean, that's another thing. Those guys, their stock is high. You've got to dig a little bit deeper uh, than just, okay, who, who's the guy on the national championship or national championship runner-up? They, they, they've, they've got to get better at, at playing the draft. And I like the Khalil Mack trade. And if you remember, like, everyone was freaking out on him. I said, listen, that's a lot of players that are going to be cheaper than just Khalil Mack. I, I think the problem is I don't know that they've used the picks wisely, and they've got to do a better job of that. Soren Petro's with us. Let's close on this, uh, another football topic. You got Kansas football nearby. I mean, there's a massive uh, Kansas alum base in the city of Kansas City, and yet the football program really hasn't won consistently in a long time. They just, uh, you know, in shame, sent away less miles. So are we starting to get in? And the athletic director. Yeah, and the athletic director, which is a a big deal. So put aside the AD, um, coaching names right now, uh, latest list I've seen here, this is up at, uh, I don't know what this website is, but KUSports.com, uh, Bill Clark, UAB, Sean Lewis, Kent State. And, you know, I mentioned this to you on our podcast. Petro and I do a podcast every Wednesday night at uh, 9 o'clock Pacific live up on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Jay Norvell, the Nevada coach, or as we call him here, Reno, is also on the list. So what names are you hearing for the Kansas football job? It's a power five job. The school has money. Um, you know, obviously there's upside. You can't do anything but go up from here. Yeah. Um, and, and it's going to be a slow and deliberate process because you're not having to beat anybody to the punch right now. And I, I think everything is on the table from one naming or either just going along with, with your acting coach right now as the interim throughout the course of the year and then getting after the hiring season next year. Um, th- there's also a reason to go now. Right. You, you can't get maybe the whole staff that you would want. Maybe you just get the head coach. He manages this staff, gets a chance. Basically, everybody has a tryout for whether or not they're going to be on the long term uh, list for for a staff and then put the staff together next year. But uh, the names uh, Buffalo's uh, Leipold is a popular name. Uh, Kevin Kane is a kid. Uh, I say kid because I remember him playing in college. I covered him in college. Uh, but he played at Kansas, a Rockhurst High School uh, kid locally. He's the associate head coach at Illinois and the outside linebackers coach. He's coached at at Kansas. He's been in the Midwest. I've been in Illinois. 
Uh, he's considered a, a strong candidate that's ready to be a head coach. Um, and, and I'll throw in Dave Dorn, the NC State coach, because Dave Dorn is a guy who likewise went to school at Bishop Meage High School here in, here in town, played his football at Drake, uh, always seemingly coveted the Kansas job, never got it. In fact, there's supposedly some hurt feelings on the fact that Kansas didn't reach out to him. But NC State has a, a, a fan base that seems to think that they should be much more like Virginia Tech during Frank Beamer's days. Like they, they're never seemingly satisfied. And I think if Dave Dorn wanted to restart the shot clock and Kansas wanted to get a guy that you know can at least come in and build you a 7-8 win team, Dave Dorn would be a really good choice if he would take the job. But, you know, he, he's making good money at NC State, so that's not going to be a cheap hire. Most people think it's going to be of the cheaper variety uh, because they've got a lot of money going out and with, with – uh, you know, a, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, lost revenue because of the pandemic that they will go with a smaller school or assistant coach to keep the price down. Uh, but there's no doubt that the money folks at Kansas do not want to invest any more money in a football program until they see results. So it's going to be very important for whoever makes this hire, whether it's waiting until an athletic director comes in or an interim AD working on it right now, they need to get it right because the money is not flowing the way they would like it to on the football side. That's uh, that's quite the quandary because if I have a job currently and I'm making, I don't know, you know, seven hundred, eight hundred, nine hundred thousand, I'm looking at Kansas and what a disaster it is. I mean, I I want three million and I want massive buyouts, which I'm sure Kansas is like, we can't keep doing this with this risk on the back end. Tough position. That's where I think you know right now, no one's saying Dave Dorn's name but me, but I know he's wanted the job in the past. But I think as you get to it, when you start saying, okay, what are we going to do? We can take a flyer. There are a lot of good prospects, right? You know, Buffalo took a shot on Leipold when he was winning championships at Wisconsin Whitewater, Division Three. You know, he was a good prospect, but you didn't know what you're going to get. Now he's finished twice in his division, uh, you know, finished first twice in his division uh, in the last three years. He's proven himself to be a, a, a quality MAC coach and a, and a program that people think is a tough sell uh, at Buffalo. So he's got the resume. Uh, but you don't know until you get into that spot. And Kansas has proven to be a very difficult place to win. I don't think it's as hard as Kansas has made it look to win, to at least be respectable. But but you can't deny that the people that they brought in have really had a hard time. Charlie Weiss, Les Miles, Turner Gill, uh, David Beatty. Uh, none of them have had success uh, since Mark Mangino left. All right, Soren. Knock on wood if you hear me. There we go. We're in lockstep. Soren Petro, WHB in Kansas City. Path to the draft. Thank you, my friend. Always my pleasure, Steve. Thanks for having me. There he is, Soren Petro from WHB in Kansas City, our Chiefs expert. Up next, we'll follow up on that Kansas job discussion. Is Jay Norvell going to get plucked from Reno, and what do they do up north if their coach bolts? Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Good Times with Mr. Sunshine. Brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Prioritizing people over profit. Battleborn Broadcast Center on a Friday. Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Justin Watkins up in about a half an hour. So we've got a bunch of good legal stories to get into. We had a high-profile criminal mm-hmm. arrested here in Las Vegas. And uh, now she is in the Clark County Detention Center. It's a sad story. Not really. Not really. Sad for one person. Um, Yeah, I guess. I don't know. The person seemed to have a lot of bravado up on Sylvia afterwards. Well, it was sad for the person who was uh, violated. All right. Good times 
good times. Because Mark Lurie, we opened the show, it sounded like, man, he may, he might have COVID. Uh, he might have tested positive for COVID. Then within 15 minutes, and remember going back to yesterday, he was put on the COVID list. We find out around uh, two today that he's positive. So Marc-Andre Fleury may play tonight. I haven't seen him ruled out yet. This is a minute-by-minute minute story, so we'll get you an update on what's happening with the Vegas Golden Knights all-time hero and the guys I've said when we said it. Statue out in front of the fortress. I want to get to the good time story here in just one second. And it's a follow-up on what Seren Petro and I were talking about with the Kansas football job and Jay Norville. But I did want to mention something we opened with, and that was there are real COVID situations with Kansas and Virginia. Both had to drop out of their respective conference tournament. So Kansas out of the Big 12, Virginia out of the ACC. They've got to be as clean as possible to participate in the NCAA tournament. So now the selection committee decision to make, what do you do with these teams? Mm-hmm. Do you see them normally? Uh, could there be an outbreak on the team? to happen? I immediately went to the odds board and tried to bet Kansas, Virginia, and also falling on hard times because of an injury. I bet them all for the natal. I think I got decent numbers, but right at the best numbers. Yeah, Virginia, at least Virginia and uh, Villanova both available at 65. Ah, and that was downtown? Yeah, that's downtown in Sarkin, So you can Well, right now, over there. Will Hill had 40 to 1, uh, Kansas 5, and I'm sorry, Virginia 5, Villanova was 40, Kansas was 35. So they're all higher than that there, but also you found, you know, well, out of the state because we can't bet DraftKings. They haven't made the adjustment yet. No, 20 to 1 on all three, but it gives you, you know, like to your point, right? All of this. It gives you an idea of at least what one on shop thinks about in terms of their chances of winning a double title. And now you can get that in the range of about six one as we were talking about. And we just don't, still don't know what those teams are going to look like. We could be screwed and be getting with five guys, right? Get a full strength team and forward. That was 20 to one to win a title at some shops. I, I didn't see it specified if it's a player. Mm-hmm. So right. we're, we're an update on this. Uh, all these teams are allowed to bring a travel party of four and everything in the 34 travel party. If you go to the map, has to be clean to be able to go to us. And then I think along the way, uh, if a person was cleared of COVID, they then have, I'm talking about a player, straight to negative test, and they could actually re-enter the tournament. I'm pretty sure that's the case. You're not banned from the tournament. Advance. Correct. With a potentially depleted squad. So, you know, it's weird how these situations come up in college football where you get a late firing, like Les Miles. Kansas job, it's a power five job. That's what you can say about it right now. It's been a tough job for football, and Les Miles screwed up previously. Uh, he wasn't doing well in his first two years. I thought his recruiting was actually pretty deep numbers. So now that job's open, and there's some direct ties to Kansas and Kansas City, names that are on the list. But Jay Norvell has actually repeatedly shown up on some of these Kansas prospect coach list. The Athletic had him on the list. I saw a, uh, a local you know, KU site had him on the list. Well, he's a coach at Reno. I mean, there is a chance. He could, he's a Midwest guy. He played at Iowa. Coach that uh, around the Big 12, you know, some of the powerhouse as well. Nebraska in the, the region, but Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Texas. He's got the pedigree. He's 57. He just went seven and two at Reno. He's done a good job. I don't think he's going to be the number one choice, 
but that wouldn't be good for Reno to coach in freaking March. Yeah, it would put him behind the eight ball. And look, Norvell, by the way, you mentioned like all the ties that just put him in for this job. You know, I was going back and he's been in the name. He's been when Vanderbilt was open, his name popped up when Arizona opened, his name popped. So he, he's a guy that's been on the radar for a lot of these programs. He's, he, his time there, right, coming to an end, whether it's going to be here or sometime in the next year. But you're right, at least in terms of timetable now, Nevada being behind the eight ball, they're in a relatively good spot in terms of what he's done with the program, right? So maybe you get away with it and in a year that's not as restricted, right, as we've seen with COVID and everything yeah. like that. But Oh, whoever, if, if he left and whoever took over the job would be walking into a nice situation. Of course. Uh, that said, if you're Norvell and you're in, you know, maybe on the outside, but in for Arizona, Kansas have to come in and blow you away. Personally, yeah. <laughs> like, and with like a really nice buyout if they want to dump you after three years. Um, now I know a situation. I don't know how how close he was to a you know place like Arizona. Again, I will mention he's also 57. So there's a certain point where you're like, even if it's a really, really tough job and calling with $3 million or $2.7 million and you're making 100 well, and, and let's be honest, right? Like, what do you got to do there to find success? Him to like, you know, 500, maybe a couple of seasons over, right? And we're not even talking about like 10. It's just like a seven-win season. If you get one there, I mean, come on. Oh, I would think if yeah, you could get the four or five wins, maybe six, that would be a success. And upper mobility is there for you if you do that. So it's obviously you both sides of it. But if you're actually, like if I'm Jay North. If I've been actually, right, if we're just reading these reports and they're accurate, and if I've been in conversations with the other jobs that I mentioned, I'll take one more year at Nevada, right? Try to win the Mountain West and then see what I can do after that as opposed to taking the cans. On the way back, we'll get you updated on the uh, Mountain West Conference tournament field. And uh, if you haven't heard earlier, Kansas and Virginia are out of their conference tournaments. So uh, I'm not going to say very much in doubt for the NCAA tournament, but I wonder how they're going to be seated if there are other positives before Sunday We'll get more news on that, and we uh, well, we have to get into the big NFL news of the day. Two quarterback moves. Uh, Cam Newton has uh, found a home. It's home, and Tom Brady, I guess, is going to extend out until he's fifty years old. He signed another extension. This has been Good Times with Mr. Sunshine, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Become a member today at SilverStateCU.com.